important for us to understand uh, what those giftings are in order to be uh, uh, ready to embrace them and also be ready to affirm what we see in others. Can I get a witness? Because one of the key things we've talked about is, is that uh, when it comes to spiritual giftings, um, your spiritual gift will be affirmed by the body of Christ, by the church. And so if I think that I have uh, whatever spiritual gift of leadership, but it's not showing up in my life to the point to where others can recognize it, then those others will not affirm that in me. Even though I may think that that's what I have, my gifting will be affirmed by the body of Christ. Can I get a witness? A man's gift will make room for him. Is that correct? And so, uh, so many times if we're not careful, particularly if we're insecure about who we are and we're seeking to make ourselves be something that maybe make ourselves feel good about ourselves, we will at, at times push our way towards something that was never ordained or never spiritually imparted to us by God. Because we can develop talents or skill sets I mean, over a period of time, but but the anointing, amen, of Holy Ghost is what gives us these giftings and allow them to operate. Okay, so our our mindset is that we want to make sure that we understand them completely and thoroughly, so that we'll be available and open to being used by God in each one of these areas. Okay, so uh, if you again, let's go to First Timothy chapter two, verse number one. We're going to look at intercession. Uh, the spiritual gift of intercession literally means to plead on behalf of someone to intercede. Sister Barbara just so eloquently shared with us about intercessory prayer and what that means and how uh, how much of impact that can have. Uh, I think uh, as as I look at Christianity today and as I look at how church life is done, I think that many believers fail to really appreciate and recognize the fact that prayer does change things. Can I get somebody to help me tonight? I don't believe we really truly embrace the ministry of prayer like we should. And I don't think that we really believe that prayer will do what the Bible says it would do. Otherwise, there's no there's no logical explanation as to why people don't pray. Come on now. If you knew without a shadow of a doubt that the thing that I declare with my mouth as it is in obedience to God's word would come to pass, what would stop you from praying? There's no way you would not pray if you truly believe that your intercession could cause things to happen. You'd be praying all the time, wouldn't you? Come on now. And so, so my, you know, when it comes to this particular gifting, I think it's something we really need to, uh, to, to embrace and understand because there's, there are certain things that won't happen in the earth realm except but by prayer and fasting. Okay, so uh, to, it means to intercede, to, to plead on behalf of someone to intercede. Uh, the gift of intercession is the divine enablement to consistently pray on behalf of and for others, seeing frequent and specific results. Now, notice it. It says it is the divine enablement. Holy Spirit enables this person. There's people who have the, the gift of intercession don't get tired of praying. I've also discovered that people who have the ministry gift of intercession can pray a little bit longer than those of us who don't. Hello, somebody. In other words, they, 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 it's like a wellspring that is, that is flowing up out of them to, to the point to where, uh, you know, they, they, they can pray, uh, you know, hours on end. And, uh, and, and, but those of us who don't, after about five minutes, we're like, okay, now, um, they praying a little long, and so I wonder when they're going to finish. But people who have to get their intercession, uh, they don't put time limits on their prayer life. Okay, so so watch this, watch this. So they they the our description says that they they pray on behalf of and for others, and they see frequent and specific results. In other words, when they go down their prayer list, they can begin to go back and look at it and begin to mark stuff off that's been answered by God. People who have the, the intercessory prayer, uh, spiritual gift, okay? Intercession. 
What are their distinctives? They feel compelled to earnestly pray on behalf of someone or some cause. They feel compelled. Now watch this. They feel compelled. Now we give out a prayer list and we send out prayer requests through our email chain, right? How many of y'all get the, the prayer list? Uh, on a percentage basis, how many of y'all, what, what, what percentage would you guess uh, that of the body of Christ here at EBC that actually takes that list and prays for the prayer requests that comes across? What percentage would you think? What you guess? Anybody? Remember, huh? Two percent? I hope it's more than two. <laughs> ten? Y'all say, baby, ten, one out of every ten people actually read the prayer request list and pray, right? Oh, well, I don't know the answer, by the way. So, but my point is this. You're probably right. I, I can promise you it's less than 100%. And it's probably, uh, I don't know, uh, if I'm guessing, um, uh, it, it's probably 50% or, or less. And that's sad because what we're saying is, is that when someone asks us to pray, that should not be a burden for us. Are y'all with me? The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. It changes things. So if I am righteous, which my righteousness is not based on me, it's based on what Jesus did. My righteousness, me being declared righteous has nothing to do with how good I am. It has everything to do with how good Jesus is. But as a righteous man and woman of God, I should have the, I should even if I don't have the gift of intercession, I ought to be able to pray in faith and see things happen. But the sad reality is, is that because many people don't really believe what they say they believe, then they don't pray like they should be praying. Okay? Y'all with me? So, so, so what are the distinctives? These people feel compelled. If you got the gift of intercession, you feel compelled. That's a burden on you. You gotta, get, you gotta get up and pray. Amen. They feel compelled to earnestly pray on behalf of someone or some cause. And they have a daily awareness of the spiritual battles being waged and they pray. They are convinced God moves in direct response to prayer. They pray in response to the leading of the spirit, whether they understand it or not. There are times, guys, when the spirit of God will just well up in you and, and you're like, man, I just I feel a burden to pray right now. I don't know why, but this person came up in my spirit and I'm praying for them right now. I don't understand what they're going through, but Holy Spirit, you know what they're going through. And people who have this gift don't 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 put it off to later on that evening, which allows the time for the enemy to come in and, and get in and infiltrate your mind. And the thing that you thought you were going to do, you meant to do, you end up not doing because you put it off. People who have this gift, amen, were are moved by the Holy Spirit. They pray in response to leading the spirit, whether they understand it or not. And they exercise authority and power for the protection of others and the equipping of them to serve. OK, so what are their traits? They advocate. They, they, they're caring. They're advocates. They're caring. They're sincere. They're peacemakers. They're trustworthy. They're burden bearers and they're spiritually sensitive. OK, now, now watch this. Uh, what are the cautions? They should avoid feeling that their gift is not valued by remembering that interceding for others is their ministry and spiritual contribution to the body of Christ. And they should avoid using prayer as an escape from fulfilling responsibilities. Listen, you can't pray all day and don't clean your house. Can we talk? <laughs> Wives and husbands, okay? I, 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 I can't clean the house. I, it's, it's prayer time. At some point in time, you got responsibilities. So, so even though you pray, you still got to take care of responsibilities. You got to make sure you're not so super spiritual that you know earthly good. Does that make sense? All right. And then uh, need to avoid a holier than thou attitude sometimes caused by extended times of prayer and spiritual intimacy with God. So look at look at First Timothy two, verse number one. Watch this. Look at what who's writing this text, y'all. Apostle Paul is. Writing to his young protege in the ministry by the name of Timothy. He's writing to Timothy. Look, look at what he tells him. I urge you, first of all, to do what? To pray for all people. It says all people, right? Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Watch this. Next verse says what? Uh, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, 
so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Is that what he says? Pray this way for king. Now, we don't have a king here, but we have a president, right? And I, I shared y'all with this a couple years ago. It's hard for some of y'all now to pray for the president. Don't look at me like that. Just like when Barack was in office, there were some other folks on the other side that found it difficult to pray for him because of policies or whatever else. But guess what? You have a responsibility as a believer to go down on your knees and pray for the office of the presidency of the United States of America. And that person that's in that office is a guy by the name of Donald J. Trump. Okay, all right, y'all looking at me like I'm crazy now. We have a responsibility. Paul tells Tim, uh, Timothy what? Pray for, pray this way. What kind of way? Back up, back up to verse 1. Look what he says here. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. All right, so now, as a believer, you should be asking God to help your president. All right, I know it's a little hard for some of y'all, but you got you got to get past your flesh. It's amazing how we can see what the word of God says and we allow our flesh to determine what we do and not the word of God. I'm looking at some of y'all right now. Some of y'all right now just having a hard time. It's not right. I said this when Obama was in office. I said this when Bush was in office. I said the same thing when Clinton was in office. I said it when the first Bush was in office. I said it when uh, 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 Ronald Reagan was in office. Okay? You pray for those in authority. Intercessors don't have a problem with this because intercessors realize that we got to pray because if we don't pray with all the foolishness and sins in this world, if we want to live a quiet and peaceful life, we better pray. We better pray some demons away. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. He's, he's telling you how to pray. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Verse two, come on. Oh, this is this is good for some of y'all because you got to get your get, get out of your flesh. Pray this way. What way? The way he just said in verse number one. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. Why? So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Intercession. Intercession, the gift of intercession is there. Now, all of us should pray. The Bible says men ought to pray and not faint. We should pray and not lose heart. Okay? Pray without ceasing. So everybody should pray, but intercessors have this divine enablement where they feel compelled to intercede on behalf of the church, the government, the society, family, and, and, and they can't rest if they don't pray. So intercession is critically important because I got news for you. Sometimes in the church, uh, people who, who, who are supposed to be praying aren't praying. So we need intercessors going to the throne room of grace and asking God to, to bless us as a church body. Okay, so intercession. Let's go to the next one. Word of knowledge. All we're doing is getting understanding on these giftings. Okay, I'm sorry, I missed. Yo, thank y'all so much. Interpretation. All right. Interpretation. Let's go, if you will, to First uh, Corinthians, the 14th chapter, and we'll start reading at verse number five. Interpretation. Hallelujah. So we got intercession down in our book. Thank you. Intercessors bombard the throne room of God to help make sure that, that we're covered and bathed in prayer. Now, notice what Paul says here. Uh, he says in verse in this 14th chapter, again, let's, let's provide the context for it. He's going to talk about the gift of interpretation of tongues. So interpretation of tongues is a companion gift to tongues. In these chapters here, 10 through 14, he deals with 
the principle of edification. He's talking about whatever is done in the corporate assembly should be done to edify the corporate body. Y'all know that we've taught on this numerous times, but I want to make sure you understand that because there, there was a period of time in, in, in Christendom when particularly when the full gospel Baptist church movement came along and then Baptists realized that the Holy Ghost ain't nothing to be afraid of and that you can be filled with God's Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts are available to, to whoever is willing to receive them. Okay. But then there, there were some who went overboard and were out of balance with the utilization, particularly of the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so, and so there were people who were making you feel like you weren't even saved if you didn't speak in tongues. Now again, Tongues is still available today. I speak in other tongues. Paul said, I, I, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than all of y'all. But Paul says, but in the congregation, in the corporate assembly, I would rather speak something that somebody can understand than to speak something that they can't understand. Because if I speak something you can't understand, you can't get edified. You can't get blessed. Are you with me? If I start speaking in the German language right now and I tell and I'm in German, I'm speaking that Sherry, I'm going to give you one hundred thousand dollars. Sherry can't shout because she don't know what I'm talking about. But if Sherry could understand what I said and I, and I told Sherry that the Holy Spirit just told me to write a check for one hundred thousand dollars to give to you and to put in your bank account, Sherry would start shouting and she would be edified immediately. Right. What if she don't know what I'm saying? She just sit there, just rock back and forth. <laughs> Are y'all with me? And so what Paul says is, he, he begins to talk about it. So when we talk about uh, interpretation of tongue, it is a companion gift to the gift of tongues. They operate hand in hand, like fist and glove, like tomato, tomato. Oh, no, that's. Like a hamburger in a bun. <laughs> All right, they go together. All right, but watch this, watch this. He says, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you, you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Now watch this now. So that the whole church will be strengthened because he's dealing with corporate worship here. The Corinthian church had got out of balance. Uh, they were flourishing in spiritual gifts and there was no order in the church. So when they came together, everybody was jumping up. Somebody had a prophecy over here, a tongue over here. There was no interpretation going on here. Somebody was praying over here. Somebody was preaching over here, teaching over here. And then there was chaos in the corporate assembly. So nobody was getting blessed. So watch what he says here in verse number six. Let's read it together. Come on, let's go. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be what? That will be helpful. Uh, verse number seven, let's go. It says, even lifeless instruments like the flute of the harp must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. In other words, when you're playing a, a, a note, when the keyboarders are playing, they got those notes have to be in synchronization or nobody will know what song is being played. You got me? So, so skip down with me to verse 26 right quick. So he's, he's talking about interpretation of tongues, a gift, okay? Um, it says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. Let's summarize what he just said. Again, there's a whole lot that's been said in between there. I don't have time to go over tonight. You can read it. We've taught on this numerous times. But the, the point I want you to get is this. The gift of interpretation of tongues is a companion gift with the, with the gift of tongues, all right? And when we see in here... Um, uh, the gift of interpretation we, in your outline says it, it, the distinctions of that gift are the response to a message spoken in tongues by giving an interpretation. It glorifies God and demonstrates his power through this miraculous manifestation. It edifies the body by interpreting a timely message from God. There may be times, this is why we need to be open to the Holy Spirit using us and not be afraid of spiritual gifts and not be afraid of tongues. Amen. To learn what the scripture says about it, because there may be a time when the Holy Spirit will unction you uh, when we come together uh, with a message in tongues and then or, or the interpretation of what somebody said in tongues. And so when we're in a corporate assembly where we all learned and what we know about it, and we've been taught about it, and we don't have unbelievers coming in, uh, then then we can 
we, we can utilize that gift. And what was happening is, like in some churches you go to, uh, it, it, everybody was in there speaking in tongues, nobody, and, and then uh, people who were unsaved or who were unlearned came in. And Paul even said this, if they come into to that assembly and see all of y'all speaking in tongues, they're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're mad, and they're going to turn around and go back out and say, well, they may stay for a while, but then they ain't coming back. And so you miss your opportunity to minister to them. But that don't mean that this gift can't be used. What we got to do is learn about it so that we don't limit its usefulness in the body. You got me? So watch this. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must must strengthen all of you. Everything that's done in the corporate assembly should be done to build up the whole body. Right? 27 and 28. Come on, let's go. It gives order. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. Because we're in the corporate assembly. Right? All right, watch this. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must what? Be silent in your church meeting and speak in, to, speak in tongues to God privately. All right. Have, y'all ever, have you ever been in a service where you just start praying privately? I mean, in your English language. Well, you may be, and sometimes you may be simply praying, Lord, help pastor, help him, help him, help him. You know, last week when I was a little uh, uh, stuffed up, some of y'all were saying, Lord, just help him, help him. Look, look, he about to lose his voice. Lord, just give him strength. I thank God for that. But you wouldn't, while I was praying, while I was preaching, stand up in public out loud and say, Lord, help pastor. His voice is about to be gone. While I'm, that would be out of what? Order. But you could right there pray privately to God. That's what he's saying right here. Uh, in the church, if there's, an, if there's a message in tongues that comes and there is not an interpretation uh, you know, coming along with it, then that person that's speaking should keep silent in the church. Because obviously that was a message not meant for the corporate assembly. Because if it was meant for the corporate assembly, the companion gift of interpretation of tongues will come right alongside it so that we'll know what you're saying. So that we can be built up and we can be edified. All right? So the question is always asked, is there ever a case or occasion where maybe tongues can be uh, spoken in your private prayer language like this? And there not be interpretation. Well, it may, there are occasions when, say for instance, we're in a prayer meeting and all of us there have been taught on, interp- on, on spiritual gifts. All of us understand that if we're going to pray, uh, you know, out loud or speak out loud uh, to the whole body, then there has to be interpretation. But there'll be times where it may, it may be conducive if, if everybody in there has learned about spiritual gifts, everybody there is born again. And it's, I think it is scripturally correct to say at that point in time, hey, listen, if you pray in tongues, pray in your prayer language now. And so now everybody's praying in their prayer language and, 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 and nobody is taken aback by it because we know what's going on. You follow me? We know we, we, we're not, we're not going to run out and say, I ain't ever coming back again because you've been taught. Right? So there's understanding there. So I think in those occasions, that can take place. But if we come to a regular church service and somebody just break out in, in, in tongues and there's no interpretation, Paul said let them keep silent in the church and pray privately. You follow me? Okay, watch this. Uh, so, But if no one is present who can interpret, let, they must be silent in the church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Watch what, look at, what are the, uh, uh, the distinct, let's, let's go back. They understand an unlearned, unlearned language and communicate their message to the body of Christ. They are sometimes prophetic, or sometimes prophetic when exercising an interpretation of tongues for the church. What are their traits? These people tend to be worshipful, they're, they're responsive, they're devoted, they're responsible, they're spiritually intimate, they're sensitive, and they're faithful. What are the things they should be cautioned against? They need to remember that the message being interpreted should reflect the will of God and not man. Don't make something up. Okay? Don't just say the Lord says something and the Lord didn't tell you that. You, you got me? Because sometimes you may be under pressure to say something and, and you really didn't have anything from God. They should remember that this gift is to provide edification, is to build the church. Use it in an orderly manner in conjunction with tongues. So it should be in order, okay? Y'all got that? 
All right, let's go to the next one. Where, where, where we at next? Word of knowledge. All right, let's go word of knowledge. Uh, go to John, the first chapter with me right quick, verse number 45. The word of knowledge is to know. It's the gift, of the, the gift of the word of knowledge is the divine enablement to bring truth to the body through a revelation or biblical insight. What are the distinctives of this gift? Uh, people who have this gift receive truth which enables them to better serve the body. They search the scriptures for insight, understanding, and truth. And they have an unusual insight or understanding that serves the church. They organize information for teaching and for practical use, and they gain knowledge which was not attained by natural observation or means. Okay? Uh, look, at, look at John, the first chapter, in verse number 45. Let's start there right quick, and we'll come back up and, and pick up. Ready? Let's read. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Watch this. Nazareth. When you you exclaim something, what does that mean? You emphasize it. Nazareth. Come on, let's say it like from the country. Nazareth. Watch watch this. Why does he say it that way? Why does he say it that way? He tells you. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Cedar Grove? Especially what he said, can anything good come from the Cooper Road? Can anything good come from Pine Hill? Can anything good come from New Orleans? That's basically said yes. That's basically what he's saying. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Watch what, watch what Philip said. Come and see for yourself. He replied, now watch this. We're talking about word of knowledge here. Being able to see something and have knowledge of something that, that, that's, that you couldn't have known except that there was supernatural revelation given to you. This, is, this, this comes into play when someone may speak a word to you or say something to you that you know that they had, God had to give it to them because you ain't told nobody else about what they just said about you and you, you said that in the privacy of your own home and didn't tell anybody else. Word of knowledge. God will use that sometimes to, 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 to let us know that he knows what we're going through. And even though that preacher didn't know what you were going through, God gave him a word of knowledge to speak to you to deal with your issue, to let you know that he, hear, he knows exactly what's happening at your, at your house. As they approach, Jesus said, now, here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Watch this. Next verse. How do you know about me? That's what they think you asked. What do you know about me? Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Here's the word of knowledge. Hadn't, again, obviously he hadn't met this Jesus of Nazareth. And this Jesus of Nazareth is just telling him that you would just stand up on the fig tree. Everybody say word of knowledge. Word of knowledge. Then they, they, they you. Now, first Nathaniel was saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now look what he's saying. Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Because the rabbi, Jesus from Nazareth, spoke a word of knowledge to share something that he could not have known physically. Right? Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? you will see greater things than this. All right? Word of knowledge there, okay? So people who have this gift, what are their their traits? Uh, They're inquisitive. Uh, They're responsive. They're observant. They're insightful. They're reflective. They're truthful. They're spiritually sensitive. Uh, They need to be careful of this gift leading to pride because knowledge does puff up, right? All right? And they should remember that it's God's message, not theirs. When they give a word of knowledge to the church, they need to remember with the increasing of knowing comes the increasing of pain. Sometimes you'll see stuff that will that you you're aware of and, and it, it, it can affect you in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a in a more sensitive and painful way. OK, so word of knowledge, word of knowledge. Again, it means to know the gift 
of the word of knowledge is divine and able to bring the truth to the, to bring truth to the body of Christ in a revelation or biblical insight. God will give it to you. Okay, let's go to the next one. Leadership. You're still tracking with him. Now watch this. The literal meaning of, that, of this gift is to stand before. All right. The gift of leadership is the divine enablement to cast vision, motivate and direct people to harmoniously accomplish the purposes of God. Uh, this this gifting, uh, you know, sometimes we can look at this and, and, and leadership, the spiritual gift of leadership, I think, is uh, can be akin to, but it's actually different than worldly leadership. There are those who are in, in, the, in the corporate or business world or, uh, you know, in, in, in the outside, the church world, who show leadership. There are people in prison who have leadership ability. Lead a gang in prison. Leader, leadership uh, can be exhibited in, in, in any number of ways, but we're talking about divine enablement. Don't miss that, okay? Divine enablement. Uh, to 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 uh, to cast vision, to motivate, and to direct people to harmoniously accomplish the purposes of God. Now, I can lead. I, I make. I may lead a company to accomplish uh, record earnings, and the stock price is off the charts. And I'm, I'm doing a good job of leading that company, but it don't mean I have the spiritual gift of leadership. Okay, I may coach a football team and lead that football team to the to NCAA national championship. But that don't mean I have the spiritual gift of leadership. Okay? Uh, you know, there, there are some that do and some that don't. All right? Y'all with me? Uh, and you, you, you can look at any number of, of, of successful coaches, but that don't necessarily mean that they have the spiritual gift of leadership. All right? It could be because they're closely kin, but this is the ability to direct people to accomplish the purposes of God. They provide direction for God's people or ministry. They motivate others to perform to the best of their abilities. They present the big picture for others to see. And they model the values of the ministry. They take responsibility and they establish goals. Okay? They're influential, diligent, visionary, trustworthy, persuasive, motivating, and goal setters. So what, what are their cautions? What, what should they be cautious about? They should realize their relational credibility takes, that, that, that they should realize their relational credibility takes time and is critical for leadership effectiveness. Relational credibility. What does that mean? Relational credibility. Let me put it this way. After being here 30 years, I should have some relational credibility with this body. Okay? I mean, I should. Otherwise, you probably would have ran me off before 30 years came along. Okay? I should have relational credibility. In other words, that relational credibility was will maybe allow and afford me the opportunity to say something in a way that maybe somebody who's been here two years or one year can't say. I'm not talking about anything evil. I'm just saying maybe there's something that's said in what would consider if you took it in isolation to be a hard saying. But because we have hopefully have built up relational credibility. You know our heart, you know our, our mind, you know our our, our, our our mindset, so that even though that was a hard saying and maybe it, it, it popped you right between the eyes, you don't run and leave the church because I said something that dealt with your sin. Because you know, based on the relational credibility, that I'm going to be there with you, I'm going to be there, I'm going to walk through it with you, even when you mess up, big time we ain't throwing you away, we're going to come and get you. That relational credibility, amen, it takes time to build that up is what I'm saying. You follow me? All right. Now, you may step into a situation to where you don't have that relational credibility. And this, this happens, guys, listen to me very, very carefully. We see this even in the secular world. There, there, there are things that may happen. Let's say, how many of y'all grew up in Bozeman Parish? Live, you live in Bozeman Parish now. There, there are times when things happen even from a law enforcement standpoint. Carl, you, you can back me up on this. There are sometimes people who maybe have relational credibility with people or with law enforcement who may can do something and they may not get in the paper. But you go do it 
and you all up in the inquisitor. Y'all get my drift? That, that, it, it may be a situation to where, uh, let's put it, I, I know for a fact there have been situations where people have, have ran afoul of the law, but they were afforded a little more grace than JoJo over here. Y'all tracking with me? All right, so that relational credibility, but it, it does take time and relationship to, to, to develop that. So uh, we, we want to make sure that we understand it, okay? So, but, but you got to be realized that relational credibility takes time and it's critical for leadership effectiveness. I can't be effective as a leader, as your leader, if you think everything I'm saying, I got an angle, I'm trying to do something, I'm trying to get over on something or trying to d- devise a way to, to trick the church. Right? I mean, if that's the case, then, then it's not going to work. Eddie, you, you coaching the basketball team, if all your players think that you, you, you trying to mess over them and ain't giving them a chance, then they, they mindset going to be messed up. And they're not going to be able to play and perform like they need to. They need to know and understand that you, you're hard on them because you're trying to help them get to some place where they can't see themselves being right now. And as a pastor, guys, there are many times, I, I promise you, that God, God will sometimes share with your pastor and show him things that you can't even see about yourself. Are you with me? Um... I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick on Yvonne right quick. <clears throat> I mean, I, before Yvonne started teaching Sunday school class, um, 10 years ago, she probably could have never saw herself doing what she's doing now. But you can ask her, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I shared with her even before she ever came to this point to do what she's doing now, that God showed me what she's going to be doing, what she's doing now. But 10 years ago, or even 15 years ago, especially, she couldn't, she, she didn't see that. So, and there's others where God will show things, and, and, and as your leader, you know, I can't just come up and, I, I, you know, sometimes, you know, I want to say something, but then I want to let God work it out, because I don't want to jump ahead and say something, because then now you start trying to do it because I said it, and not be led by the Holy Spirit. Are you following me? But God will give leadership vision to cast and vision to see what, what he's doing down the road. That's why it's important uh, for each one of us uh, to, to make sure that, that we understand that, okay? All right, so the leadership should remember that servant leadership is the biblical model, the greatest being the servant of all, okay? Uh, uh, do not need to be in leadership position to use this gift, okay? Uh, in other words, you don't have to have a title to be a leader. Y'all know this, even in, in different organizations, sometimes it's not the one with the title that's doing the lead, it's the one that has the leadership ability that's doing the leading. All right, so go to Hebrews 13 with me right quick. Come on, y'all. And I think, guys, we're going to get through this next week. All right? So are are y'all tracking with me? Understanding these gifts helps us to appreciate them, but also helps us to be in a position where we can identify and help affirm somebody uh, in that gifting. Hebrews 13, and let's go start at verse, uh, I think it's verse 15. Let's go. We'll start. Okay, y'all there? We got it on the screen. Okay, let's roll. Ready? Read. Proclaiming our allegiance to his name. All right, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. Um, well, okay, yeah, okay. Therefore, let us all, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to His name. Verse four, verse, verse sixteen. Can we read it out loud? Let's go. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. Okay, these. On the sacrifices, what are the sacrifices that please God? Back up to verse 15. 
sacrifice, continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. So what does the sacrifice of praise to God sound like? Somebody help me. What does that sound like? What is that? Huh? The fruit of the, it's the fruit of the spirit. That's what, okay. But I mean, what, what does it physically sound like? A sacrifice of praise to God. What? Praise the Lord. Praise him in some. Praise him. We magnify you. God, you are an awesome God. You're a wonderful God. You saved us. You're our, our soon coming king. In other words, we're, 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 we're giving praise to God. We're, we, even when we don't, a sacrifice means that I do something when, I, when it is not convenient for me. If it's convenient for me, it's not a sacrifice. Right? Come on now. If it's convenient, it's not a sacrifice. Amen? I told my daughter Sandra. She was, she was uh, this is about a couple of weeks ago. Um, she was upstairs in the room. It's about 1.30 at night. I think I was downstairs studying and fell asleep. I, I do this when I'm, I'm studying, but then I fall asleep. And then I went upstairs because she came, well, she opened the door coming out because the, the smoke detector was beeping. How many of y'all know when your battery gets low, the smoke detector starts to beep? It's irritating. It's, it's, it's fire, right? And um, so we didn't have any, any nine-volt batteries at the house. So I threw on uh, some flip-flops and threw on some sweatpants and found the closest store that was open, which is, you know, a couple of miles, two or three miles down the street, and went and got a couple of batteries and installed them in, uh, in her smoke detector. And I told her, I said, you better be appreciative that you got this kind of daddy, baby. That was a sacrifice to get out and go get a battery at 1.30 in the morning. Okay? It, that was not convenient. Are y'all with me? So the sacrifice, uh, it says, therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God. In other words, I may not feel like it, but my praise to God is not predicated on how I feel. It's predicated on how good he is to me. I'm going to shout. I'm going to say it even when I don't feel like it. Well, isn't that being hypocritical? No, it's not. It's a sacrifice. God inhabits the praise of his people, and we ought to shout the victory every time we come up in this place. When we're at home, we ought to be telling how good he is to us. We ought to be thanking him and saying, Lord, you are gracious. Lord, you are kind. You're merciful. And I love you. Thank you for putting up with me. A sinner like me. Saved, saved by, by grace, person like me. Sacrifice. Continuing. All right, get back to 16. And don't forget to do good. So, so sacrifice the praise and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. So sharing with those in need is a sacrifice that pleases God. Look at 17. Watch this. Oh, my time is running. Read that with me. Read it one more time. Wait, 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 wait. One more time. One for the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. <laughs> Let's read it. It says what? Now watch this. What that means is, now again, I always say this. Spiritual leaders have to be in line with the Word of God. Okay? As long as I'm telling you what the word of God says and showing you what the word of God says, then as a member of the body of Christ and a member of this church, you're under obligation to follow me as I show you what the word of God says. You're spiritual leaders. And I'm not the only one that's a spiritual leader, but, but uh, in, in this course, in this setting, as, as the pastor of the church, I'm not going to tell you something that goes against God's word. Okay? Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to what? Watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. My work is not to tell you how good you are to make you feel good all the time. Although I do believe in encouragement and exhortation. And as your pastor, every sermon ought not be what you did on Saturday night. Sometimes you need to hear what the Lord wants to do through you, and that he loves you, and that he wants you in his presence. But then when I do have to tell you about what you're doing and how we need to correct it, then don't get mad and leave. Hello? 
Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Okay? Y'all got that? All right. Last one, guys, and we out of here. Mercy. Let's go to the gift of mercy. So y'all see leadership, right? To get the leadership will we'll parlay itself. I, it, it'll begin to, it's amazing how those who have this gifting, it exposes itself and you don't have to reach for it. It, it comes about when people come together and those with that gift tend to uh, begin to operate in it. Okay? So watch this. Let's, if you will, uh, go to Mark the 10th chapter. So the gift of mercy is to have compassion. The gift of mercy is a divine enablement to cheerfully and practically help those who are suffering or in need having compassion that is moved to action. Really, compassion is, you know, when you, when you have compassion, the Bible says Jesus had compassion. Every time it says that, he was moved to act. It's one thing to feel sorry for somebody, but it's another thing to have compassion on them. When you have compassion, you're moved to act. Okay? All right, so people who, who have this gift, their distinctives are they focus on alleviating the sources of pain or discomfort in suffering people. They address the needs of the lonely and the forgotten. Uh, they extend love, grace, and dignity to those facing hardships and crises. They serve in difficult or unsightly circumstances and do so cheerfully. Uh, they concern themselves with individual or social issues that oppress people. Now, guys, all of us ought to be concerned about these things, but people who have this gift of mercy are, 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 are locked in on this. They're locked in on helping those who are less fortunate about feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. That, that's something that they, that they are passionate about. And sometimes they'll get, they'll get upset with you because you're not as passionate as they are about it. We all should be, have a mindset to care for those who are less fortunate than we are. That's, that's our biblical mandate as Christians. But people who have this gift, it's a burden to do so. Okay, y'all with me? And all of these we'll see that all these particular giftings and stuff are things that, that, that we can uh, uh, operate in uh, and it's not our spiritual gifting, but po- f- people who have this gifting, it, it's, it's a burden. It's something that, that just drives them, okay? So again, let's look at this. It said these people, are, they're empathetic, they're caring, they're responsive, they're kind, they're compassionate, they're sensitive, and they're burden-bearing. And so what are the cautions for the people who have this gift? Uh, they need to be aware that rescuing people from their pain may be hindering God's work in them. You got to be careful. Some, sometimes sometimes we, we, you know, in our efforts to alleviate folks from the results or the consequences of their actions, we end up getting in God's way. Are you following me? You may be hindering God's discipline work in that life of that person uh, and not knowing that you think you're helping them, but you're hurting them. I feel a sermon title. When helping you is hurting you. That, that sounds like a good, <laughs> a good, good sermon title. Okay. So, so we need to be aware that rescue, rescuing people from their pain may be hindering God's work in them. Okay, Need to guard against feeling unappreciated since some of the people helped will not show or express any appreciation. And they should guard against becoming defensive and angry about the sources of others' pains. Okay, Look, look at Mark 10, verse 46, right? And we're going to close out on this one. Everybody still with me? Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. Watch this. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, okay? Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. 49, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come 
here. Now watch this. There's throngs of people around Jesus, but it's, it's very interesting to me that Jesus was, uh, was able to, to hone in on this guy, this beggar by the roadside who was shouting his name out. Now I would dare guess that he was not the only one calling for Jesus. Because if you heard that Jesus was in town, people flocked to him because they knew and they understood that he was a miracle worker. They knew and understood that he was a healer. They knew and understood that he was a deliverer. But yet here Jesus is when others were telling this boy to shut up. Jesus had mercy on him. He picked him out to bless him. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they caught the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Watch this, watch this. Verse 50. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. Verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Jesus had mercy on this man, okay? And we'll see other scriptural references where the gift of mercy was in operation. Jesus operated in the gift of mercy quite frequently. This had mercy on people. And his healing of them had nothing to do with how good they were. And, and truthfully, a lot of times it had nothing to do with where their faith was. He just had mercy on them, Okay? So, again, these spiritual gifts that we, we, we have a, a few more to go. I think we got about six more to go, and we'll pick these up on next week. But I want you to, I want to make sure that, that each one of us in here evaluates, evaluate the characteristics of these different giftings. Uh, have, your, have, have your spiritual compass and your, and your spiritual mindset open to being utilized by God in these particular areas. Uh, God will bless us and gift us. And others will help affirm that gifting and, and, and help to, to identify that gifting. I, I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that God wants you to know what your spiritual gift is.